Welcome to Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. I'm your host, Dawn Berendt, the Infusion Nurse Educator for the INS. My guests today are Stephen Rowley and Simon Clare. Stephen Rowley is the Clinical Director for the Association for Safe Aseptic Practice and the originator of ANTT, Clinical Practice Framework. The Association for Safe Aseptic Practice is a nonprofit, non-governmental organization with a global purview. Working closely with organizations and governments around the world, Stephen has helped realize improvements in aseptic practice and healthcare-associated infections. His peer-reviewed publications are widely cited, and as a leading opinion leader and expert on aseptic technique, he lectures internationally. Simon Clare is the Research and Practice Development Director at the Association for Safe Aseptic Practice. He has been a registered nurse for 29 years and a clinical nurse specialist for 16 years. His background is in hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. And he has worked at the Myeloma Institute at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in Little Rock, Arkansas, and at the University College London Hospitals. Simon is former visiting lecturer at City University of London and a member of the European Society for Blood and Marrow Transplantation Research Group. Simon was a joint winner of the 2008 Nursing Times Award for Infection Control Nursing. Before we start the podcast today with our guest, I want to share an acronym with you, and that is ANTT, which stands for Antiseptic No-Touch Technique. The acronym ANTT will be used throughout this podcast as Stephen and Simon tell us about their work. Thank you both for being my guest today. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Yes. Hello. <laughs> okay, Stephen, let's start our conversation today with you. Um, I'm going to have you tell our listeners about the Association for Safe Aseptic Practice and tell us why and how this organization was started. Okay, so I'm very happy to do that. So from uh, the beginning, quickly, uh, when I qualified, uh, I went into hematology uh, cancer nursing and was very quickly involved with a lot of intravenous uh, therapy care, as you can imagine, and quite quickly uh, became very interested in uh, the different approaches that I would commonly see in different hospitals to aseptic technique for IV care. Um, when I looked into this, uh, doing a little bit of research two years in, uh, I realized that the practice was really reflecting the literature, where there is a surprising amount of historical ambiguity uh, underpinning the confused practice that I was seeing with very different terms, terminology, and practices described interchangeably in the literature. For example, sterile technique, aseptic technique, clean technique, non-touch technique, and it's a very long list I could go on. Um, and it just seemed to me to be a, an interesting challenge at the time to try and uh, bring some standardization to the area. Um, so I arranged, I originated ANTT, the, the framework, around 2000. Uh, and to cut a long story short, it took off in ways I really didn't imagine um, very, very quickly. And I think it took off quickly because it filled a void out there. And it also um, 
it was kind of first published at a time there was a, a new and almost international um, concern around infection prevention that hadn't been around uh, for some time. So the two together created an awful lot of interest. Um, as things started to expand really quickly and internationally, it was far more than I could cope with. So at that point, that was why I set up the association. Uh, and that was essentially to um, give the project the capacity and resource that it required. Um, and that's something we've been uh, building on ever since. Um, as you said, we're now a non-profit and we support ADD practice in over 25 countries variously uh, in different levels. Um, the association provides um, free uh, all the core resources for ANCT are provided freely to anyone on request, um, and we provide free email and phone support internationally six days a week. Um, and we have a really diverse uh, portfolio, so we work with everyone in it and everything um, in all disciplines, all specialties. Uh, it's very important just to stress that obviously that INF has an, an IV focus, and that's always been a big component of ANTT practice, but ANTT is a framework for every uh, kind of invasive procedure or every kind of maintenance of invasive device, so that's everything from uh, major surgery right through to first aid at home. Um, so, yeah, we're busy. Absolutely. Your scope is so comprehensive, and your reach is very broad. What did you say, 25 countries? Yeah, that count was about 25 countries. Yeah. Okay. But that's a that's a variable that's a variable mix uh, those 25 countries. So we see the interest in ADT come from essentially two areas. We see a lot of what we call organic development. So this is ground level healthcare workers reading publications, learning some competencies, and taking ADT uh, from the shop floor up if you like, through the organization. But as ANTT has become more well-known in the last five years or so, we're increasingly now uh, being engaged by governments in various countries to adopt a, a national approach from day one, which has got a, a very different uh, approach for us. Okay, very, very good. Simon, let's switch over to you, and I'm going to have you tell us about your role with the Association for Safe Aseptic Practice. Yes, um, well, I'm the Research and Practice Development Director, so I have basically two um, big work streams. Um, the first one is research, um, and, and that's sort of split into two parts. We, we like to build research capacity into the project by encouraging centers to sort of get involved and help us with you know, audit and research activities to try and move practice forward because I think, as Steve was saying, around the literature, there's been a real absence of, um, of you know, sort of gold standard research in terms of aseptic technique. Um, and so anything we can do to try and improve that picture, we, we think will help to develop better national and international guidance. So that's one of the first things. The, the second thing is that we um, do research projects ourselves. So we collect data from projects and we look at implementations. Uh, and we're very fortunate that people share data for, with us um, from lots of different places around the world. 
uh, and we're able to try and put together a picture of what practice looks like. Um, so because that, that helps us greatly in, in designing resources uh, and clinical guidelines and that kind of thing. So that, that's very useful. And then the second major stream of that is in practice development. So education, uh, competency-based training. Um, so all of the sort of the educational governance that goes into our sort of back end, um, we're very involved with that. Um, standardized research protocols, um, audit tools. We help people with uh, analysis of, of their data once they've connected it. Um, so we, it's a very collaborative project, and we try and get as many people involved in that as, as possible. Excellent. Now, your work in standardizing the approach to aseptic practice is so important. And each of you have referenced ANTT earlier in our discussion. So let's talk about the impact of aseptic no-touch technique. What really is the impact for the patient, for the healthcare provider in all settings? Um, I think the best way I can answer that is um, I'll start with an, an analogy um, of sorts. So aseptic technique, I don't think anyone would dispute is a, a critical clinical competency uh, it's also pretty much about the most common invasive clinical procedure performed throughout healthcare and, and has a very significant risk, as, as everyone knows, it, in terms of infection. Um, in contrast, it really hasn't received the investment in terms of time and focus uh, such a, cr a critical competency deserves. So the analogy would be... Um, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, CPR training and, and practice. So, you know, CPR is also a critical competency and, and pretty much internationally it's a standard where the process, the rules, the terminology is universal. And the strength of that for patients is, you know, beyond dispute. Um, what we often ask when we go to, when we're in front of an audience is we ask people, uh, usually a bunch of healthcare professionals to put their hand up if they've had CPR training in the last year and everyone will put their hand up and then we ask them to leave their hand up if they've used it in the last year and typically 2% of the audience is left with their hands up in the air and then of course in contrast we ask who's had aseptic technique of training of any type in the last year and nobody puts their hand up and then we ask who's used aseptic technique, and everyone puts their hand up. <laughs> so we're obviously not we're obviously not advocating that people don't get CPR training, but it does beg the question: if you had to choose between one or the other, which one would have most impact on patient outcome? And we would advocate the most common with the biggest risk of uh, infection. But so that's just a little a crude way of, of describing impact. Um, so, I mean, the, I think the impact of ANTT comes from addressing the ambiguity around practice and providing a standard approach uh, to the critical competency. Um, and not only that, it's not about reducing, just about reducing variability and therefore improving practice standards. The framework actually um, also very nicely provides a standard language standard practice language. Um, and the best way I 
demonstrate that is as this project was born, most inquiries that would come through in terms of practice questions, the very first dialogue that you'd have to have with everyone was pretty much what did they mean by what they were describing. So people would ask us questions about using terminology around, oh, our aseptic technique or our non-such technique or our clean technique or our medical, surgical technique, whatever. And, and it took a good few emails or a good part of the conversation to work out and get in sync with each other. And as the ANTT has been more widely adopted, we now get people more often than not articulate practice questions to us in a, in a language we immediately can understand and feedback. And I think this concept that people can have meaningful conversations about something so critical uh, is one of the reasons that people have, have, have um, welcomed and been enthused by ANTT. And it's not just about improving practice dialogue within one ward or one team, but it's about the practice dialogue across hospitals in regions and, and between countries uh, and, of course, in the literature. Excellent. Excellent. So Simon alluded to this just a little bit ago, but I'm going to ask you about improved patient outcomes for organizations and um, asking you to tell us about changes in infection surveillance data. Um, what have you been able to observe um, I think the first thing that we have to acknowledge is that it's difficult to demonstrate the kind of improvements that we, we'd want to see. Um, there's a lot of variability, a lot of variables. It's very difficult to demonstrate causality. Um, and because there are many components to ANTT, it, it almost um, functions like a clinical care bundle in, in itself. So if I wanted to pick out the individual elements and then assign... Um, an outcome to that, it would be very difficult. And so we, we've approached it uh, in the way of looking at um, how it's evaluated against practice standards. So the people's understanding of what they're doing improve? Does their clinical practice improve? Um, does their ability to explain to their patients what they're doing? Um, all of those things get better. Um, we, we do have data um, that's associated with implementations where healthcare-associated infections have um, decreased. We published some data early last year uh, where we went back to a centre four years later after implementation and sort of asked the question, you know, what's changed? What's the sustainability? Have people embedded practice change? Which is crucial um, to, for the sustainability of ANTT. Um, and good statistical significance across all of those indicators demonstrated that, yes, practice had changed. People were able to embed all of those benefits. Um, and they were able to see, um, you know, sustained reductions in, in um, healthcare-associated infection. But because the thing to remember is, of course, that we've, we've decreased, um, since ANTT has been around over the last 15 years, We've dramatically decreased some of those big bogeyman organisms like MRSA. Uh, and so it, it's a bit of a plateau right now. It's very difficult to demonstrate, um, you know, massive improvements like we used to do um, in the earlier days of the project. I, I think, I, the, I think the main, main... Go go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. I was just going to add there. I think the, the main message in that is that... Um, 
what we do demonstrate and we encourage organizations to demonstrate is is reducing variability. So that's our kind of main measure. Uh, we have a, a research protocol um, for that, which uh, we happily disseminate to anyone who wants to implement ANTT using it. And the protocol is designed to demonstrate improvements in reducing practice variability across an organization. One of the benefits of having um, a standardized research protocol is, is um, a lot of the resources that we are able to give people are sort of validated tools that have been standardized. And so people don't have to reinvent the wheel when they want to look at some of these things. Um, and we sort of, again, very collaboratively help them at every point in that research process. Uh, we're very keen to build capacity that way. You mentioned the word sustainability, and that is something that all healthcare associations really struggle with when they have presented education or a change in practice, an expectation of practice. And uh, everyone lines up, receives the education, and we come back a few months later, a few weeks later even, and we find that what was learned isn't sustained in the practice setting. So the work that you described where you where you come back some time later and see that changes are affected and that's, that sustained changed practice has occurred um, is very compelling for me. Absolutely. Um, the... the it's just suffice to say that the, as well as practice in ADT being um, an aim to standardize and provide standardization, so is our implementation process. So the, the standard way that organizations implement ANTT uh, isn't a linear process. It's a circle. It goes around forever. So it's basically an audit cycle. Uh, just like any other critical competency, it never ends. So it involves implementing, training, assessing, embedding, and then, at, and then at a future point, usually around six months to a year, maybe a bit more in different organizations, revisiting that process. And, and that's just, just like, again, with CPR training, that's usually in most healthcare providers nowadays internationally, at least uh, a two-yearly refresher, if not a yearly refresher. So it's really important that when organizations implement ANTT, they do realistically with the uh, expectancy that this is something they need to revisit on a cyclic basis. Okay, very good. So do you have a case study or example of patient care improvement? You know, we just always love to hear those stories. Are you able to tell us about uh, changes in a particular practice setting? Uh, yeah, we've got more than we could mention on, on this podcast. So I'll, 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 I'll tell you about a current one. Um, in the UK here, we've uh, put a lot of emphasis in the last 10 years in our healthcare system at trying to get as much um, acute hospital care transferred to what we call community care. So patients generally, that means receiving their care at home uh, with support. Um one, one organization here called Healthcare at Home approached us about two years ago. They're the largest community um, transition provider of this type of care in the UK. And they became conscious that their practice 
uh, was not as standardized and had far too much variability in for their own comfort. So we set about um, putting that right with an ANTT implementation, which had its challenges because this is a nationwide organization with 30 or 40 different hub sites around uh, the country. And that was a fascinating project for us because it really gave us um, a large playing field and the ability to look at all dimensions of practice. So obviously a big element of that process was involved in looking at what practice was happening in the across the organization and standardizing that with ACT. But practice needs to be supported. And what came out of this project was a lot of learning around the other practice aspects that you need to get right to be successful mm -hmm. in this area. And we were very impressed by the organization's approach to this. So they, they took the opportunity to look at uh, equipment, look at medical supplies, were they using the right in equipment and the medical supplies, were they arming their staff correctly to support good and effective aseptic technique. And they put a lot of work into getting rid of certain equipment and supplies and bringing in new, more relevant uh, practice and supplies. And they even went as far as designing themselves this kind of kit rucksack type bag, uh, tailor-made to carry the equipment people need to practice in the community with. And they had like nice little sleeves in it and pockets for various important parts of the equipment, uh, which really helped people get what they needed in the place they needed to have it. Uh, so we were really impressed by that. And uh, Healthcare at Home, two years later, uh, were awarded our gold accreditation, which is a new kind of accreditation that we um, designed about a year ago to give organizations a structure by which to demonstrate the good work they're doing. And uh, Healthcare at Home, a nationwide achieved gold standards and uh, everyone was very pleased about that. And we've got a lot of organizations in different countries now going through that process. Great work. Great work. Nice example as well. Thank you. So I want to switch our conversation over now to talk about the clinical practice framework. And this has been mentioned a little bit previous in our conversation. So I'm going to ask you to tell our listeners about the clinical practice framework framework that is posted on the, your ENTT website. Uh, tell us all about that. Okay, so um, I think I would just go back to the CPR analogy maybe. So for something as critical as aseptic technique, you need to have a standard set of principles and rules and processes, and that's essentially what the framework is. It's a little bit like the, uh, what do you call it in America? We call our our code book for driving a car, the highway code. I think it's called something different in America. I, I actually wonder some days when I drive on our local Beltline if there is a code anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. uh, I'm being facetious. Well, I, that doesn't occur to me. But you're talking about a standard set of rules or, or guidelines that, that really yeah. dictate behavior. Yeah. Um, that that is universal. Everyone understands. And we've created an expectation then that we all understand what yeah. to do when. Exactly. So if we go back to the car example uh, and driving a car example, everyone we look, look out in the road can, can drive a car. Independently, they can drive a car. But imagine the roads, if there weren't rules, people didn't look at signs in the same way and they meant different things to different people. So 
you know, there's nothing magic about the framework. It's, just, it, it's about having a standard approach, and the power comes from, from that. So the framework describes aseptic technique. It defines it uh, comprehensively. Uh, it breaks practice down the ANTT model into two approaches. One approach is intended for complex procedures. That's anything from major surgery, uh, central line IV insertion, and so on. And then slightly to the left of that, you get into more simple procedures, technically more simple procedures. And we call that standard ANTT, and that has a slightly different set of rules. So even though there are two types of ANTT, one's, one's called standard ANTT and one's called surgical ANTT, the principles and rules and terms are exactly the same for both. The framework provides a what we call an ANTT risk assessment in which practitioners can ask themselves a very simple question, just one set question, to determine which approach they should take for any given procedure. And the whole framework is based on a, um, an original concept called key part and key site protection, which in a nutshell is about getting practitioners to identify the critical parts of the equipment and the patient that need to be maintained aseptically and to focus their efforts on there and less worry about the parts of the equipment and the patient that don't matter so much uh, to, to keep aseptic. So it teaches an approach to practice and it gives people a few rules to make the right decision. And the aim of the framework is that if you took two groups of people and, and asked them some practice questions and they applied the framework to that, they would all hopefully come up with the same answer. Okay, very good. So I'm going to take my next two questions and com combine them together uh, because we're going to talk about compliance. And we understand that clinical education is essential to lead clinical mm -hmm. practice. And uh, I, I want to understand how you've designed uh, your education um, and how it leads to compliance. And secondly, compliance sometimes has a negative connotation for some folks. And I'm wondering if you discovered why that is and if you could speak to that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the holy grail, isn't it, compliance, um, certainly for change management. Um, we believe that compliance is more than education. Um, it requires a sort of a multimodal approach. There are lots of elements to this that we need to consider, and we don't always do that. We think that we can just educate people, and that's going to change their behavior. Um, there are human factors involved. There are... All of those things that we've learned from change management about why people don't adopt things. Um, hand hygiene is a great example, isn't it, that people might know what the right thing to do is, but getting them always to comply with that uh, is not an easy thing. So um, our, the way we structure this is looking at um, clinical governance models, looking at the organizational structure, um, and looking that this ANCT is a, a sort of a long, as Steve was saying earlier, a long-term commitment to quality assurance and improvement. It's not a checkbox exercise or a quick fix. So 
Compliance really, in that regard, equals safety. It's the, these different elements of education, training, assessment, uh, this continual audit cycle where we look at practice, look at where the holes are, and then refocus our education and competency-based training to sort of fill those gaps. Um, the, the analogy with CPR, we keep coming back to it, it's a very good one, um, is that it's a mandatory piece of training for a core skill. And ANTT training, to get good compliance, has to be part of mandatory uh, training requirements. So people know that the organization is serious about this, it's important, it's a high priority, and everything that they see um, from the organization's delivery and implementation and maintenance of ANTT um, just screams the importance of this. So from high-level um, driving of this, from medical and uh, nursing perspectives, um, right through to having sort of link nurses and people driving the project at a local level. Um, getting getting local ownership um, is also difficult, but there are elements to the program, to ANTT and to, to this project that um, enable a, a really high degree of uh, enthusiasm and buy-in locally from bespoke clinical guidelines that, are, that can be developed locally that people feel a real sense of ownership with. Um, the feedback that they give to the projects, whether that's through audit data or whether that's through asking questions. Steve mentioned that we have this six-day-a-week um, sort of phone and email contact. Uh, sometimes I wish we didn't have that, but um, <laughs> uh, we are very responsive as a, as a small organization. And so we're always very uh, aware that to maintain a project like this, we have to really look at what people's problems are and try and solve them and try and address them. Thank you, Simon. So let's move on. We're going to wrap up uh, this session here pretty soon in the next few minutes. So Stephen and Simon, um, we're going to continue this discussion in uh, part two and part three um, in our podcast series that's going to air in the next few weeks without jumping ahead to the content that we're going to discuss in those sessions. I'm going to ask you uh, to leave us some parting comments regarding the background of the Association for Safe Aseptic Practice. Okay, I think I would, I would finish this session off by saying that, um, or stressing that, that this project is a is a genuine collaborative approach. Um, the framework has been was it was yes, it was evolved by me and, and my team over the last few years, but so much work has been. Uh, evolved by practitioners in their own uh, practice domains in different countries and the developments uh, from that have, have been uh, aren't countable. There, there are so many. So this is a genuine collaborative project and, and we welcome that. Um, so our message, I think, to finish this one off is um, get in touch if interested. Uh, we're always keen to support implementation of ANTT happy and happy to answer uh, and address practice questions. Um, you know, our mission is to create one single standard for aseptic technique. Um, it's a critical competency and it requires everyone's um, support and we've had so much support in this. We, we're only um, 
we're kind of getting to a place now where we aspire to be. And if we if we were honest with ourselves at the beginning, we probably thought it was an aspiration that wasn't possible. But here we are, ten or so years later, and we're seeing so many countries adopt this. Uh, we do think it's very achievable now and not that far off. And our engagement, especially with uh, you American folks, uh, is very important to us because uh, we've been a bit slow getting to you, uh, but now we're seeing a real momentum in the States, and uh, we're really keen to build on that. Thank you, Stephen. <clears throat> Simon, did you have anything? Um, I, other than, I, I think what Steve said, I mean, I, I think if we want to take anything from the association, it, it is that collaborative nature. We... Um, we have, an, uh, just to give you an example, we have a, an annual conference every year which generates an ever-revolving sort of peer review group um, so people can submit um, their their sort of changes to clinical guidelines to that group of people and uh, they rip them apart and put them back together again. Essentially, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a great way to make sure that there's involvement at a real grassroots level um, to produce kind of guidance that is practical, useful, uh, and safe for patients. Okay. Thank you so much, Stephen Rowley and Simon Clare. This concludes our session of Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. Thank you so much for listening.